0: Welcome to Element, if you are new. Uh, there, are, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. We have sermon notes on the communion tables throughout the room, and they look like this, which is if you have been here the last few weeks, it's like, that is not a binder. It is not a binder. This is a half sheet. Uh, originally, the series that we were going to do today was meant to be a summer series, and summer series is tend to be more like an anthology, which means every week is a little bit different than the other weeks. Uh, It all goes together in terms of what the series is, but we do shorter notes. So after the whole thing of going through the Forgive series and all the notes we did, we are doing these through the end of the year. And in this, you're going to, on the front, get a place for notes. You get the verses we're going through. You're going to get four simple questions. Now, normally, you get a lot of questions through the messages. These are just four simple questions that you can talk to one another about, your friends, your family, your gospel community about. And we're just trying to help you start to develop these conversations around the topics that we will speak about. On the back, you get a much deeper review of what we're going through than we did during the Forgive series. So that's all right there. You can grab one of those. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on More and then Events in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smart device. And you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, the announcements, all that goes with today's message. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? And this is Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we ask that you would teach us what it means to honor and value one another, that we would see the grace and the beauty that you have bestowed upon us because of your own goodness, and that we would see the image and likeness that you have placed in us, and that we would honor that by how we glorify you and how we love one another. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are, as I said, starting this new series. It's going to go through Christmas. Uh, I was trying to wrap my head around what to do and how to talk about this because over the last year and a half, I read a lot of books, but I was reading a lot of books on abuse in the church, on women in the church, and the perception sometimes that Christian thinks that women are less than men. And so I wanted to do a series that looked at women in the Bible in a light that teaches us about God's grace and God's goodness and how God uses all people, men and women both, to bring about His glory we typically when we talk about stories in the bible we look at the men we look at the prophets the minor prophets the kings the disciples and we only tend to talk about women if it's like mary at christmas or the women at the tomb at easter but there's so many amazing stories about women in the bible and that's what i wanted to give you throughout this series this is going to eventually lead to a couple years from now a series on the disciples uh, I'm going to call it the 12, but it's going to be 15 weeks. You've got to come back to hear how my math works out for that. You're welcome. <laughs> But, and then uh, this year in January we will start the book of Ephesians. We'll expository go through that. It's going to be about twenty four weeks. But a lot of times when we come to the scriptures, because we have a Westernized perspective, we misunderstand what the original Hebrew writers would have said in the Old Testament. And we got to come back and look at what that means. Because many times people will read the scriptures from this Westernized perspective, and they got a feeling that says, "Oh, women are less than men, or women are smaller than men in their calling." And that's why I'm calling this series Not So Little Women. It's a play on Louisa May Alcott's title of her book, Little Women. The book's been so popular, it's never gone out of production since it was first printed. Uh, a lot of people haven't read it, but most people have heard about it, so that's my play on words that you don't care. Okay, so... Uh... <laughs> So as I said, in this series, we're going to look at a bunch of different women in the Bible and what they did or didn't do. Uh, Some are going to be remarkable in their love and trust of God. Some will be remarkable in their sinfulness, but they are in the Scriptures for a reason. And God uses these women not as second-class citizens, not as those who are around to get the man a sandwich, then go back and continue to do his work, but as image bearers to teach us all about God himself, because the Scriptures are about God rescuing and saving us. Today, there just seems to be so much debate and fighting over and division over genders and roles and God's call, and yet we were meant to be a people where men and women come together to complement one another, that we're not meant to be in competition with each other. So I think this could be useful in helping us to see the magnificence of God's creativity because God is creative. If you have a Bible, open to Genesis chapter 1, and kind of hang out there. It's going to be Genesis 1 and 2. We're going to hang out there for a bit. Uh, The place that I want to start before we get to all of these stories about women is I want to lay for you a foundation today of how the Bible speaks about men and women, Uh, not just how people throughout the ages have talked about it, not just how people who misunderstand the scriptures have talked about it, but what does the Bible actually say? And I know it seems like a no-brainer to talk about what we do today, but you'd be surprised at how often we need this reminder because today there is competition between genders or lack thereof, and everything looks like it's got to be a fight for equality. When the scriptures start in a place when it introduces male and female, it introduces them as equals from the very beginning. The verse I had you stand for, Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. What that means is women as well as men have intrinsic value because they are created in the image of God all the bible testifies to this fact no matter what you hear, you hear people say about it the series is not to pit women against men and value and stuff it's to bring us together in worship of god as we were always meant to be why do women have value Why do men have value? Is it because we pass laws that say so? No, not at all. It's because women, just like men, are created in the image and likeness of God. And that is a truth. When we believe it, it is going to be transformational in the life of the church as well as the life of the world as we go out into the world and interact with it. Elite Fitzpatrick and Eric Schumacher make this point about art. They say art is fundamentally tied to the reputation of the artist. Like if Picasso made a doodle on a paper paper and signed Picasso, it'd be worth a lot of money. I make a doodle on a piece of paper and sign Aaron, it's trash. Right? There's a complete difference between the two. Now, it's really interesting in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul will say one of the greatest verses and things about grace and faith. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, he says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, that word workmanship, that's where we get our word poem from. It's this word called poema, which means we are God's work of art. Now, that is more than, I would say, a painting as we are, because we have hands and feet and mouths and legs, and we have the opportunity to deface ourselves. But what is still true for a painting or a work of antiquity is true for you and me, that we have all people intrinsic worth for one and only one reason, and that is we are the creation of the living God. When God makes human beings in his image and likeness, he puts a seal on us as his masterpiece. Think about this. More than stars and black holes and angels and flowers and cookies and the cosmos and all of that, we are a masterpiece of God's artwork. And you may not feel like that most of the time. You're like, I don't understand why you'd even say this. You have to understand it is true because God said it is true. We have an honor and a dignity that is set apart from everything else. No thing else in creation does God call image and likeness? Only people, which means all people, no matter their gender, ethnicity, religion, history, we all have value. And you are probably thinking right now, duh, Aaron, you're telling me what I already know. But that duh hasn't always been true for a lot of people. Sometimes we will even devalue one another today. You may think, well, I don't devalue other people. Okay. How do you feel about those that raise your taxes? Ah, Okay. How about uh, those who vote in the dumbest laws, mess up your state, and like, I don't like this. Then they move to another state and start voting the exact same way and messing up that state. How do you feel about them? Ah, yeah. I was playing frisbee golf with some friends over our lunch hour on Thursday this week. This guy broke into my truck, stole all of my credit cards, went to, ah, that's how I feel, right? Went to Albertsons and then to Target and started buying all these gift cards. How do you feel about things like that? Do you devalue them? I I thought back to the forgive series. I prayed. I said, Jesus, teach me how to forgive this guy and bring about justice. (laughs) Not vengeance. (laughs) Justice. (laughs) Do you know back in 1968, uh, black sanitation workers went on strike and held placards that said, I am a man. Because so many people treated them like they weren't even men. And there are many who have degraded women throughout history, and they will say things like, yes, we are created in the image of God. And they still think that women are less than men without realizing it. Sometimes we will use God's own words where God will say she is a helper. And we'll talk about that in just a moment because helper doesn't mean gopher or assistant. You go back to the revelation of God himself, Genesis one twenty-seven. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then it goes on. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. You have to notice the thems in there. So what I'm going to do is lay out some basic things from the book of Genesis in this creation account before we move start, before we start to move into the series next week. So number one is this. By himself, the man was insufficient to display God's image and likeness. That doesn't mean that we aren't made in God's image without one another, but by ourselves, we are insufficient. That isn't talking about being married or a married couple displays God's image better. It means that God is so holy and wondrous and glorious that one created gender alone was inadequate to bear his image. The man alone could not bear his image. The woman alone could not bear his image image we together as a humanity were meant to bear god's image to the world an entire humanity in unity and again in case you missed it all women all men have value because we are made in god's image fitzpatrick writes this understanding that women as well as men have been fashioned by god to be immortal creatures eternally imaging his glory must by necessity transform the way we think and interact with one another today Years ago, uh, these movies came out called uh, Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery, right? It's about this whole thing about a comedy about a spy who's frozen in the 60s, and he's thawed out in the modern day, and the whole shtick is how he's out of step with modern times of gender and propriety. And he keeps running into men dressed as women, and he'd be like, she's a man, baby. She's a man. You you could not make this movie today, by the way, okay? But... (laughs) But what you have to understand is interesting. Genesis 127 says that she's a man. Now, when I say that, you're like, what What is he talking about? Our modern culture is so messed up in this. Genesis doesn't equate manhood with mere maleness. And before you get ready to misunderstand and stone me, i got to explain. If you look at the literal words of Genesis 127, it says God created Adam, mankind, in his own image. And then God will define that by using the words for male and the word for female. Humankind was more than one gender. It's two genders, if that makes sense. I'd like to say that, you know, the woman you'll see is made out of the man's side, so. but eventually then the the female man delivers the male man, which delivers the male man. Okay. Again, it sounds really weird in our gender-confused society today, but God says that together... These two are meant to have dominion. God's name for his creation of people is man. Uh, Genesis 5.2, male and female, he created them and blessed them and named them man when they were created. So when God made man, he made a male man and a female man. This is why we are called humankind. The first thing the Bible teaches about male and female is they share the same nature. Each is as human as the other. They are both mankind. One writer says it like this, through these two channels of gender, God is playing the same song. And if we would understand this, and just get this really deep inside of us, I think we could actually engage the world today who is so confused over gender. We get to point out that it is a beautiful thing, that we get to celebrate what God was doing in creation by creating two genders. We don't get rid of gender, we celebrate it. And we say, this is what God is doing, it reflects who he is, and this is why it's so important, and reminds us of that. Second thing is this, by himself the man was unable to rule God's creation as a worshiper. So if you look at Genesis 2, Genesis 2 kind of takes this micro view. Some people will look at Genesis 1 and 2, and they will say they contradict one another. Well, they don't. They perfectly go hand in hand. Genesis 1 is this macro view of the universe and what God is doing. And Genesis 2 becomes this micro view of what that looked like. And it becomes this narrative story of this creation account and shows how men and women fit together. So if you're open to Genesis 1, just go over to Genesis 2. It's right there. In Genesis 2.15, we are told, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, Genesis is one of my favorite books in the Bible. We went through the book of Genesis almost when Element first started. It only took us a year and a half to get through it because it's so, such a great book. But what you see here is that this is what is called a functional ontology. Many times we come at this from a Western view, and it's like, what day, what hour did the creation take place? Was it a Tuesday at 5 p.m. and 27 seconds? The whole point of Genesis 1 and 2 is the function of why God created people, functional ontology. The Hebrews would have never thought in a Western linear way. They're looking at why we were created. So Adam has a job. He's not necessarily the best at the job he needs a helper again i'll explain that in just a moment but we should all understand if the world only had men in it it would fall apart we'd probably kill each other is what we do but the same is true for women if the world only had women in it it would fall apart we need one another i've told you before that men are not all right on their own and i know this from personal experience because when i met my wife i had a mullet and mc hammer pants And and I thought I thought I was pretty darn cool. I thought pastels were cool. Guys will walk around in t-shirts that say ding-dongs and think they're cool. There is a problem here. I have no idea my wife gave me a second chance or a glance. I'm telling. I met her. We talked for about a month and a half. We dated three months. Got married three months later. I had to lock that sucker down, right, before (laughs) we figured it out. So When the Bible says that the man is meant to work and keep the ground, those words have deep meaning. They're not just found in Genesis 2. They are found all throughout the first five books of the Bible. That word work translates as to serve. And many times in the Old Testament, it's used of man's service to God in the temple, in the tabernacle. The word for keep is most often referring to man's care for that tabernacle, for God's house, for God's word. And so Moses uses these words as examples. You'll see this in Numbers chapter 3 and Numbers 3, chapter eight, priestly service in the temple. And Genesis two is telling us that part of man's work was to be a priest, to represent who God is in this garden sanctuary. And what you quickly see is in this sinless environment, the man is unable to fulfill his purpose alone. And so what God does, and he wants the man to see and understand is he needs a completing half. Again, that doesn't necessarily refer to marriage. It's that we just need to do this together as men and women. And so God helps Adam by having him start to name all of the animals. What does Adam see? Every animal has a completing partner. Adam is a fully formed man. He is intelligent. He is not a missing link with a club in his hands and his pants around his ankles and his finger in his ear going, I called that goat! goat that that is not what he is like he has language he classifies animals and it's not every animal this is three cat- categories livestock birds and beasts what does he see genesis 2:20 the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field but for adam there was not found a helper fit for him God knows this. This is why he has Adam do what he is doing here. A man is not a corresponding partner for a man. Not that a man can't have male friends, but an imaging God to creation, that is something that men and women were meant to do together. And again, that doesn't refer to marriage. It refers to how we are meant to worship God together. God's intent was for man and woman to correspond to each other, to be priests for and to God. We need one another. Fit for him means Matches. means corresponds. That means that the helper must also be created in the image and likeness of God. And this is why the helper is fit for him. The only one is the woman. And you have to understand, fit for him also implies fit for her, fit for one another. She alone corresponds to his nature. He alone corresponds to her nature. She is not inferior. She is his equal. Helper fit for him. And think about that in context. God created women to serve alongside men as ministers and worshipers of God. And as I keep saying, it's not about marriage. It can be, but it's about God who created us to function alongside each other in the world. And so when you hear this word helper, you got to ask, what comes to your mind? What do you start to think of when you think of the word helper? And this is where people get so off base when they talk about women and their worth. It's why sometimes people would say, why are you doing a whole series on the women in the Bible? Why would you do this? We think a helper is a lot like this guy who sometimes I hire to come and do work at my house. He shows up late. He's on his phone the whole time, but he brings his helper. And the helper really does all the work. He gets yelled at for not being fast enough or doing the work well enough. But hey, he's a helper. Right? I got a friend, his name's John, he's got two little kids. And every time you're doing something, carrying something, John's kids are like, hey, I want to help. And you're like, okay. They pick it up, walk two steps, that's too heavy, and they just walk off because they're done. Sometimes a little helper makes something take twice as long to get it done. Catherine Stockett wrote this novel, became a movie. You probably heard about it. It is called The Help. And the Help was a derogatory term for African-American household workers. They were considered lower class people who did the bidding of others. So when you hear the word help or helper, is that where your mind goes? When you read the scriptures, it means something completely different. In the Old Testament, the person most often referred to as a helper is the Lord God Almighty. That's who is called the helper. He is called the helper of Israel in Isaiah 41. The Hebrew word for helper is used 21 times in the Old Testament. Only twice does it refer to the woman. 16 times it refers to God himself. Psalm 33, verse 20, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. The word helper is this word called easer, and it never means an inferior. The word helper implies a deficiency in the one being helped, because if you didn't need help, you wouldn't need a helper. And in saying what I do, I hope I do not sound at all like I am against men or masculinity. I think those are amazing things when used for the glory of God. I'm simply trying to get us to see the value of what God calls us to see in one another. Eric Schumacher makes these five points about how we are to value women and understand this word helper. He says, first off, we are to honor the role of helper. You honor it. Before the creation of the woman, God brings all these animals in front of the man to make a point. Animals are helpful. They're helpful, but they are not the helper. Helper is an exalted status, a place of honor, which means that women are not animals. They are not to be domesticated or used or ruled over. And when we think of women and their role, we're meant to think of God and the help he provides. The second thing is we are to mourn her absence when she is not involved in things that we are doing. It says none of us can do life without the other. And we shouldn't be and if God says that, shouldn't we be able to admit that same thing among one another? When women are not involved or wanted, we should mourn that exclusion. Again, not that there can't be dude events or women events or things like that, but like God's absence, her absence is not good. Like God's help, her help is crucial. As it is without God, the good life is impossible without her presence. We are to third depend on her. A helper meets the needs of the one being helped. And again, we help one another, but women should be honored included because we cannot live without each other. Life as God intends is not good without another. We are to then. Fourth, confess our need for help, that men and women both need one another. Today, there are all these movements. Men, oh we don't need women. Women, we don't need those men. Those are always going to fall apart because we do need one another. So we must confess that the presence of the other is a necessity to rule the world as worshipers of God will be impossible to fulfill without one another. And then fifth, we must remedy her absence. And in some places, remedy his absence depending on where it is. When God saw it's not good that the man should be alone, he takes steps to address that. So we must work to overcome any unjust exclusion and to invite and encourage each other's inclusion. Third thing, ready? It's my last one. I'll try and be quick. By himself, man is not fully, quote unquote, man. And I'm going to be brief here, but the last thing I want to say is we both need one another to truly be who God made us to be, his image bearers, humankind. When the man first sees the woman, he will break out in song, but it is poetry. He will start Genesis 2.23. If you're still there, he'll say this at last. He says this at last because he's been checking out all the other animals, probably going, oh, please, Lord, no. Oh please Lord, no. but yeah, this at last, oh thank goodness is born of my bones and flesh in my flesh. she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. The man says this because in the narrative, God uses the piece of the man, uh, something from his side, to make the woman. The Genesis narrative will actually say in Genesis 2.22 that God fashioned the woman out of the side of the man. Some of your versions will use the word rib. That word is not in the text. All it simply means is the side. We don't even know what that means completely because it's not the point of what God used. The point is functional ontology. The word translated as fashioned is this word that's built. It is the only time in this narrative that that word is used, which is telling you that the woman that God creates is unique. She is made from Adam's side to be distinct, to be his helper. The woman comes from the side. It's not the head like extreme feminism. It's not the feet like chauvinism, but from his side to be his equal. When Adam says, this at last is bones of my bones and flesh of my flesh, what he is saying is she is made of the same stuff that I am. That's what he is saying. She is what I am. She's not an animal. She is a fully complete human. She is a dom, and the word that God uses. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, the second half of this statement is reinforcing what the man just said. Some people will argue that the man here is naming the woman. That's not what's happening. Uh, because God has already named them both man. The man is not necess- uh, here trying to exercise authority or sovereignty. It's a plan words in the text. The Hebrew word for woman is ishah. The Hebrew word for man is ish. They are very related to one another in the original text. And so the man is emphasizing. He shares an essence. He shares a nature. She is human, the image and likeness of God. That's what he's saying. Now, you might be thinking right now, like, hey, this is interesting. Why does it matter? Why are you taking all this time to talk about it? Well, it matters because in creation, God keeps making this refrain, or in Genesis, it will say, and God saw, and it was so, and it was good. And God saw, and it was so, and it was good. And God saw, and it was so, and it was good. You get to Genesis 1.31, though, when God creates male and female, and you read, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. The creation of male and female was very good. And our words and our lives should say the exact same thing. Genesis speaks words of worth and grace and equality and love and hope. How can we not join God in that celebration? How can we be a people who run around so often either demeaning one another or demeaning how God created us to be? Now, of course, there are differences between male and female. That's a really, really good thing, okay? That's kind of the point. If we were all the same, we wouldn't complement each other. But the Bible doesn't really begin with the differences. The Bible begins with the sameness. And so when we think about women and men, we should imitate God's thoughts and words. The Bible begins with God himself and moves to what humanity has in common. The book Worthy will say it like this. We have a shared name, a shared nature, and a shared mission. We share a human nature and a divine mission. We are more alike than we are different. And so we should honor honor one another as children of God, as God's representatives, as God's image bearers to the entire world together. What will happen is you'll see this next week, you'll get to Genesis chapter 3. And you have this thing called the fall, where humanity runs from God. We think that we want to know better than God how to rule and run our lives, so we rebel against Him. And from that moment, what you will see is that humanity has been at war, not just with God, but with ourselves, and at war with one another. And you have all these things where we want to fight against one another and who God made us to be. And this is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is so, so important. Uh, This is why we went through that whole series about forgiveness, because Jesus came on a rescue mission to save us from our rebellion and what separated us from God and what separates us from one another. He restores our value in himself. The result of the gospel is the restoration to who we were meant to be. So this leads to a question that we have to ask at the end of all this is, what gives you your worth and value? Where do you find your worth and value? Is it what God has said about you, or is your value in your gender or your lack thereof? Is your value in your accomplishments? Is your value in a relationship that you have right now? Is your value in your intellect or your position of power over others? Is your value in yourself that you think you have it all put together and you're not as messed up as those other losers in the world? You know, there there are so many people today, who feel worthless because of something they've done or something other people have done to them. Our value is central to who we are as humans, and our value comes from God. Our value is set by what He has said about us. And to understand and begin to walk in that in true freedom, that results from the good news of what Jesus has done. See, when we talk about the gospel, the good news of how Jesus died and rose from the grave to bring us to himself, that speaks of God's redemption of us, the worth he bestows upon us. And there are too many people who've been brought up in, quote-unquote, the church, and have read the Bible, and they have never seen the way the Holy Spirit speaks about these cherishing stories about women and men throughout redemptive history. And that's why I want to do this series, because I want to speak about the transforming work of God in the world and the restorative work that he does in humankind, all of us. God created us male and female for a purpose, and that purpose was to be in relationship with him, that that is where we live and breathe and move in relationship with him. And the only way we come back into relationship with him is by God taking the penalty for our rebellion and for our sin because we couldn't pay for it ourselves. This is why every wicked element, we take you to this place of communion. Communion is a reminder of what Jesus did to rescue and save us. The result of communion reminds us of the goodness of God, reminds us that God has brought us back to himself in a work that he himself has done. We get to live and walk with him because of what he has done. And this is why you break the cracker. The cracker is a reminder of Jesus' body that was broken for us. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice as a reminder of his blood that was shed for you and me to restore us back into relationship with himself. If you need prayer this morning, maybe you are uh, in a place in your life where something has happened and you feel like you have been demeaned or your value is less than, and you want to pray about who God has called you to be in your life. Well, we would invite you to come and pray with them to understand God's grace and God's mercy. (laughs) It's like, pay no attention to the man behind the door. (laughs) if you need prayer seriously uh you know maybe you find your value in something else other than what christ has said over you we would we would love to be able to pray with you about that please come and talk to us you can go during the songs you can go after services over right over in the lounge we'd love to pray with you Uh, element is a church that doesn't pass a plate for offering what we do is we have offering boxes in the side wall you can give online because we believe that giving is always a response to what God is doing in and through us. And when we see the generosity of God himself, it should turn us into a generous people. And so you can give that way. And I encourage you to take those, those sermon notes, you know, look at the verses there, but just take those four short questions and talk to one another about those questions and what it means to really walk through understanding that our value comes as a result of what Jesus himself has done and that we would start to live out in this world and honor and value one another And that all of this division we have in our world today, that people who are so divisive about these things would see us and how we live and how we love and work with one another. And that would be a beacon of hope and light in this world that we live as a redeemed people, understanding the value and worth that God has given to all of us. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we ask that you would remind us of your grace and of your goodness, because so often we forget. So often we look inwardly and in trying to find our value in what we have done. We try to find our value in ourselves. And I ask that as the rest of creation automatically does so in worship of you that we would begin to do the same thing. And we would do that in unity with one another. And if we could really be honest, there are are some times we demean and devalue one another. And in those moments, I ask that you would help us to see the truth. That you are the one who saves, you are the one who bestows value, and you have sent us to be your ambassadors to this world. So that we would, remind one another of your saving grace. And that is the only, only way that our rebellion and our sin will ever be paid for. But it is paid for by your grace. And as we remember in humility what we have been saved from ourselves, that we would begin to see the world as you do that our hearts would begin to beat in time metaphorically with yours. And that the love with which you love the world would come out of us as well because we understand the depth of our own salvation. We ask that you would be glorified by how we begin to live and how we begin to live with one another and that there would be a unity that brings great glory to your name. And we ask this in your son's good name. Amen. What I would like you to do just for a moment, maybe during the first part of this song, is ask God right now to show you where you find your value. What gives you worth? What do you hold on to that says, I'm valuable, I'm worth something? And if it is anything other than the result of God's saving work in the gospel, it will always fall apart. So ask God to reveal that. And then lay that down before Him. And ask Him to show and teach you how to find your value in what He has said about you and what He has done for you. And then come and take communion and let that be the focus of your day, your week your month, your year, the rest of your life, what God has said, because that will turn us into a people who honor the image and likeness of God in one another.